Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from the Horsham Church of Christ. For more information, please visit our website at www.horsham.org.au. All right, good morning. How are we all? Good. <laughs> I love it. Good. It's fun. All right, you all got your Bibles? If you don't have a Bible, there's uh, spares down behind the control booth at the back. You can, uh, you can take it, you can keep it. If you don't have one at home, feel free to help yourself. If you've got your Bible, uh, we'll be getting to that in a minute. So today we're going to be asking the question, um, why do we need to confess our sins? Fun topic, hey? Woo! Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> but what struck me is that as I thought about uh, confessing our sins is, if we go back, if we, if we take a step back and, and look at the intent and the heart of God, God's heart is always for relationship and connection with us. And now we have that through His Son, Jesus. But ever since creation, it has been His desire, His will, His purpose, that He would connect with us and we would connect with Him. If you go right back to the Garden of Eden, hanging out with Adam and Eve in, in the cool of the evening. I mean, how amazing would that be to be there in the moment when the Lord was walking in the, in the garden of the cool of the evening? John 3.16, one of the most popular verses, even if people aren't Christians, they tend to know this. God so loved the world, you and me and all creation, that He sent His one and only Son so that whoever would believe in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Later on, one of the writers uh, of the epistles says, God's will is that no one should perish. God is always about relationship, about connection with us. It might be simplifying, we might think, wow, that's really simple. Actually, it is that simple. God is the perfect loving Father and His desire is to actually draw us close to Him uh, and He is the one that takes the steps to make that happen. I love the fact that He makes Adam, and I've, I've talked about this recently, He makes Adam and then he's, uh, he, he parades all the beasts past Adam and, and a suitable helper is not found. And then he says, it's not good for man to be alone. It's not good. He's the creator of the universe who's hanging around with Adam one-on-one and he says, it's not good for man to be alone. I'm going to create a mate for him to be a, help for, a helper and a comforter for him. So God has always been at work to make relationship and connection with us and still at work today and the ultimate work of that relationship was through his son Jesus through the life that he lived his teachings his death and his resurrection and then through the outpouring of his Holy Spirit the one that now empowers us and I love that verse that says uh, we've not been given a spirit of fear or timidity but a spirit of power and love and a sound mind that is the gift that we receive to maintain that connection that relationship with the father in, in thinking about confessing our sins, I kind of thought, um, we, maybe we do, we don't really talk about sin that much. It's not, it's not a hot topic. Um, I don't know what your dinner table conversation is like at home. Many of you say, do you know, let's talk about the nature of sin, shall we? Nope, probably not. Um, I, don't, I don't think it comes up at our table, but hey, I don't know what your theological conversations are like at your house. Maybe that's how you roll. Good on you. But we don't actually talk about it that much. And so I looked up, I looked up a definition for you. Are you ready? 
sin is the actions by which humans rebel against God, miss his purpose for their life and surrender to the power of evil rather than the power of God. It's pretty punchy, isn't it? The actions by which humans rebel against God, miss his purpose for their life and surrender to the power of evil rather than to God. We could put it simply these days, sin is not following Jesus. Just to make it super simple. But sometimes, like we can say that, what does it mean to not follow Jesus? We talked last week about taking up our cross and following him. But, you know, we need some meat on the bones. What does that actually look like? What does it, what does it look like to follow Jesus? Here's my own. Are you ready for this? I'm sure this will be profound and rock your world. Sin is anything that fractures the precious connection we have with Father God particularly through his son Jesus, which often fractures our connection with those around us. Sin is anything that fractures the connection that we have with Father God, that puts distance between him and myself, or him and a people. Um, And we need to address that. The beautiful thing about God is that what he desires, he enables. So you go back through uh, the law, God institutes the law, you go back to Leviticus, I know this is a favourite chapter, favourite book of the Bible for many of you, and you read through the offerings that they had to make in order to sustain the law, in order to be in right relationship with the Father. There was five um, main offerings that they had to make. Um, They had to make burnt offerings, they had to make meal or grain offerings, they had to make peace or fellowship offerings, they had to make sin offerings, and they had to make guilt or trespass offerings. And so they would have to, uh, depending on who committed the sin that was in question or what the offering was being made for, they would have to get their beast, whatever the beast might be for the, for the offering, and they would have to bring that to the priest and then there would this be whole process that would unfold in order to um, lift up this offering to the Lord. And there was a sin offering that had to be made and there was a few different sin offerings that had to be made. If the priest of the people sinned, it would be one particular sin offering. If it was a sin offering for the nation as a whole, for the people of God, then it was another kind of sin offering. If it was a person making recompense for the sin that they had committed, then that would be a different sin offering again. Aren't you glad you live after Jesus? Mm -hmm. Imagine if we had built this beautiful building and then we had to, oh no, we're still under Old Testament law, we're still under the Torah, so here will be the uh, sacrificial altar. Can you imagine if we had to bring like our cows and our sheep and our doves to uh, worship every Sunday? That would be something else, wouldn't it? I don't know, maybe you don't sin, so you don't have to bring your sin offering. Maybe that's, we'll get to that in a minute. But then, Isaiah makes his prophecy. This is, in, uh, this is in a new version of Isaiah 53. I'll just look it up quickly. Isaiah makes his prophecy after the people have been living under the law for many years, couldn't really keep it. The whole idea of the law was to point out how the people couldn't do it their own, on their own and they actually needed the Lord for um, right relationship with Him. Isaiah 53 verse 4, Surely He took up our infirmities, Isaiah is prophesying about the coming Messiah. He took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered Him stricken by God, smitten by Him and afflicted. But He, Jesus, was pierced for our transgressions, He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon Him. That's a good word. And by His wounds, we are healed. Amen? And then we all like this bit. We all like sheep have gone astray. Stop it. 
Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. <laughs> no, come on, you finished it off now. Thank you, ladies. <laughs> if you don't know, have you all heard the Colin Buchanan song? Uh, some of you, all right. If you don't know, go and look it up later. Colin Buchanan, Isaiah 53.6. It will change the way you read that passage every time. You can't unhear it. You, you do that. You sing it every time. Thank you so much. I'll get you singing more often. But we all, like sheep... Oh, I can't even do it properly now. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. <laughs> Squirrel. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. What you and I can't do for ourselves, the Father in His perfect nature, in His righteousness, in His love and His grace and His mercy says, I will make the ultimate sacrifice. And the iniquity of everybody, not just you and me sitting here, not just the people that were alive at the time that Jesus walked the earth, but people right back to Adam and right back to whoever is on this earth when Jesus comes again, on Him is put the iniquity of us all. Can, like, try and fathom it, and you can't. Because if I think about my own sinful nature, now I'm a sinner made saint through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, but if I think about the sins that I commit and my sinful nature before coming into Christ Jesus, that alone undoes me. If I think about all the sins that, and now I know we're all holy, righteous people, don't get me wrong, but all the sins committed by the people in this room as many and varied as they would be, and all of those are laid on Jesus. But it's not even just that. There's seven billion people on this planet right now. All those iniquities are laid on Jesus. But it's not just that. It's everybody who has ever lived and everybody who will ever live. All those iniquities, the Father laid on His Son and made Him the perfect sacrifice for our sin. The one who knew no sin became sin and became the ultimate sacrifice to atone for our sins so that we could have been in right relationship with our Father in heaven. Thank you, Father. We just, oh, like, wow. Like, if you just, if you sat on that just for a minute, that is good news. So we have... The law, which highlights the sinful nature of people and the distance and the disconnection that they have with the Father and what they need in order to atone for their sins as well as make other offerings. We have the coming Messiah who on Him is laid the iniquity of us all and becomes a sin sacrifice once and for all. Now, I want to uh, open up to Acts chapter 5 as we, we've highlighted sin, overview of what sin is. Now, you can go and read and study about sin and confession until the cows come home and you will not get to the end of it. So, this is an overview. You want to know more, go and read, talk to Holy Spirit, do some more study. This is a flying overview, absolutely. Here's another reason uh, that we are, this is even after Jesus, but I want to highlight what happens when you don't confess. <laughs> Sorry, I find this story funny. Acts chapter 5. Um, I'll, I'll just, for the sake of time, I'll, I'll retell it. So there's the apostles and they've been collecting money and people have been selling all their stuff. This is in the days of the early church. People have been selling all their stuff and giving the money to the apostles so they could distribute it to those in need, okay? And this is how the early church was kicking off and they were 
taking ground and supporting one another and living in community and fellowship um, and the kingdom of God was advancing at a great rate in these times. And then there's a couple, Ananias and Sapphira. Hands up, do you know the story of Ananias and Sapphira? Most of us do. Um, it's a great one for Sunday school lessons. Um, they decide that they'll sell their house, they'll sell their property, and they will give the money to uh, the apostles, to the church, f- to support those in need. They do that, no worries, just like a whole lot of other people are doing. Um, and then they come and give the, the uh, before they give the offering, they have this idea, do you know what, we'll tell the apostles that it's all the money from the sale of the property, but it's not. All right, that seems like a good idea, doesn't it? No, it's not. Um, so they do that, uh, verse 3 in chapter 5, Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you've lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Now, can you imagine for a minute? If that was the consequence every time somebody lied. Like, Ananias doesn't even speak in this. Like, Peter asks him a few questions. What made you think of doing such a thing? And Ananias is like, Peter says, you've not lied to men but to God. Ananias is dead. Lying will kill you. No, I'm sorry, that's not actually the lesson. Um, I want to highlight, though, what happens. I can't even... It just strikes me as incredible, this, this story. It gets better, or worse, for Sapphira. Um, then the young man came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. Like, how is that for efficient? I'm sorry. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. All right, so all, uh, there's a whole lot of people that have heard about Ananias, dead and buried in less than three hours. That is fast food burials right there. Young man, uh, three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and an Ananias got for the land? Now, here's his wife. Peter's actually given her an opportunity to confess, to own up, okay? More than Ananias got. Like, Peter asked a question, Ananias didn't answer, he's dead. Sapphira, she gets a chance to say, actually, it's not all of it. Does she do that? No. Yes, she said, that's the price, you silly woman. Peter said to her, how could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the, <laughs> the, feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they'll carry you out also. At, the mo- at that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. I, I'm, oh gosh, this astounds me all the time. And I shouldn't laugh. I'm sorry, Ananias and Sapphira, but you lied. Um, and I can't even say, well, what I can say is, aren't you thankful the consequences aren't the same? Can you imagine if when you lied, when you tested the Holy Spirit, when you were asked about it and you still committed to telling the lie that you just fell dead in front of the meeting. Do you think that that would have a radical impact on how much we lied? 
Do you think that would drive us to confession more quickly? I don't know, maybe, maybe not. And we can think, we can read the story of Ananias and Sapphira and think, I wouldn't have done that. I would have told the truth right from the start. Oh, no, maybe we wouldn't have. Maybe we wouldn't have. But there's something about, um, in this story with Ananias and Sapphira, Peter says to Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you've lied to the Holy Spirit? How is it, where are the gaps that we have in our lives that we actually let Satan fill our heart and then lie to the Holy Spirit? And we might think it's a little thing. It might be this, this offence that we have. It's just a little thing. It doesn't really matter. Um, perhaps I, I ask the question, was it actually in their nature that they lie? Is this why it became, is this why it was just almost second nature for them that they could stand before the leaders of the church of the day and say, yeah, that's actually the whole price. And then their hearts so filled with Satan that they would lie to people of God and to the Holy Spirit death becomes and so we can think oh wouldn't be me because i wouldn't lie about something like that no but what do we actually lie about and maybe it's not lying maybe it's whatever whatever the sin might be maybe it's gluttony or greed or or gossip gossip is a massive sin i know we don't rate sins and all um, no not all sins are equal but gossip is a really easy one gossip is if coffee is the acceptable addiction, gossip is the acceptable sin. But it's not, not to God. He's not like, oh, sweet, you haven't lied about how much you got for your property. But man, the way you talk about other people, and we're really good at it. And we shouldn't be. It's not something that we can be proud about. And maybe if, um, maybe if we dropped dead at gossip, we would stop real fast. Anybody want to go back to the early church days? Any takers? Nope. I saw a hand. One hand. Okay. Bless you for not lying. What? I'm sorry. Um, the amazing thing, I was reading through the Gospel of Mark uh, because we think that Jesus is the one that calls for the confessions of sins. No, it's actually not. Actually, John the Baptist is the one that prepared the way for Jesus. People came to him. He baptized them. As they were baptized, they confessed their sins to him. So we see in John the Baptist, um, sent by the Holy Spirit to be uh, the preparer of the way for Jesus to come, was what was being prepared was the nature of baptism and confession of sins. That we were moving out of this season of um, abiding by the law and the sacrifices, the atonements being made. Now we're being baptized uh, in water, moving towards the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but in baptism of water comes a confession of sin. That people would confess to John and be uh, cleansed of their sins. Open up to James chapter 5. Um, it's probably one of, the, one of the well-known verses when it comes to um, confession of sins. Uh, but it is a powerful verse and one that we need to hold to mind. Uh, verse 13. Is any of you in trouble? He should pray. Mm-hmm. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. Uh, and that's, uh, that we still do that today and that's powerful to be a part of times like that. Um, and the prayer offered in faith, or other translations will say the prayer of the faithful, will make the sick person well, the Lord will raise him up. 
If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Thank you, Jesus. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. And it goes on to talk about Elijah. um, And Elijah was a man like us and he prayed that the rain would stop and the rain stopped. So because Elijah's prayers were powerful and heard, so too uh, our our prayers are powerful and they are heard. But I want to highlight there, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. This is one of the conversations that we have with people who come uh, and want healing for uh, healing in their body or for somebody else. Um, it's not like we do an interrogation, but there are some questions that we ask. And a couple, there's two questions that we ask. Is there any unforgiveness in, you, in your life? Is there anybody you need to forgive? You might need to forgive yourself. You might need to forgive a family member. You might need to you might even need to forgive somebody that's dead. And the second one, more and more, is, is there any sin that you need to confess? Because those two things can actually stand in the way of physical healing. And that's scriptural. So often we can come and we're like, Lord, Lord, pour out your blessing, pour out your healing, pour out more of you in your life. And God is wanting to pour out more of him, wanting to release more of his goodness, his mercy, whatever it is, into our lives. Yet there's this blockage that comes between the, the blessing of heaven and us receiving it that comes when we won't confess our sins. This is fun, isn't it? This is fun stuff, good conversation. But we don't want to hear this because we're like, oh, actually, that actually calls me forward to do something. That calls me to take a risk. That calls me to own up and say, do you know what? I have stuffed up. I've messed up. I've got this sin in my life. I need to deal with it. And I've said, I've said it before. This is a sweeping generalisation. We all think that the sin in our lives is worse than anybody else's. The sin that we have trouble confessing, or nobody else knows what it's like. There is no sin in your life that nobody else has experienced. Does that make sense? So we can sit here and think, nobody else would understand, nobody else knows what I'm going through, I don't want to confess it because nobody else is quite going to get it. No, no, no. There is no sin in your life that nobody else has experienced. And as bad and as horrendous as it might be, there's actually nothing that nobody else has been through. And so we have this comfort that we can hold on to, that when we do come forward and we need to confess our sins, we need to confess to one another, we need to confess to God, that we can actually find comfort in that because... Well, first and foremost, God is not surprised when we confess our sins. God does not sit in heaven and go, wow, thank you for telling me. I didn't see that coming. Look, I'm going to need a moment um, to figure out how to respond to this. Jesus, did you hear that? This is the sin they're struggling with. That's not what happens. I think what has happened for such a long time is that our confession of sins has been met with anger, fear, hatred, disconnection, rebuke. And so we've switched off. We've gone, I'm not actually going to confess anything. I'm not going to open up and let people see inside what's going on inside of me because I've done that once or I've heard stories about people that have confessed stuff and it didn't work out so well. Confession quite often leads to discipline. Discipline leads to connection. I have 
four beautiful children in my life and I've learned a lot, I continue to learn about, a lot about fathering. But one of the things that we have encouraged with our children, particularly over the last five, ten years, is that we want to know what's actually going on inside of them and for them to be honest, no matter how big and bad and ugly and stinky and messy they might think it would be. But, and we've also talked about how we respond in those moments. And we encourage our kids to come and talk to us about anything, the good, the bad, or the ugly, whatever it might be. And one thing that we know is how it, is, it makes a massive difference how we respond in those moments. Now, a lot of us grew up with parents that didn't understand this, didn't know this, didn't operate with this kind of frame, framework or mindset. So our parents would respond out of fear and would respond with anger and punishment. That's the tool that they had in the toolkit. But now if my children come to me and they confess to whatever the sin might be, confess to whatever they've done wrong, I'm not on top of them and saying, well, I'm going to let you have it. I'm going to call down Acts 5 and fire from heaven and you're going to cop it. Because if I do that, can you imagine, if I respond, if one of my children comes to me and says, Dad, I've eaten all your chocolate, <gasps> um, I would forgive them and they would buy me some more. <laughs> Consequences for your actions, everybody. Um, but if they, if they come to me and say, Dad, I've eaten all your chocolate, or even worse, Dad, I've drank all your coffee, <gasps> if they did that, and I responded with, what were you thinking? How dare you? Why would you do that? Little horror? You always get it wrong. Go to your room, I don't want to see you. Now the next time that child messes up, do you think that they're actually going to feel any sense, any, do you think that they're going to feel like it is a good idea to come and tell me what they've done wrong? If they come to me and I just heap on them shame and rebuke and punishment and anger, does that actually draw them close or send them away? Now, if my, and I, I don't think I get it right all the time. I'm working on it. I'm a work in progress. Believe you me. If my children come to me and say, Dad, I've eaten all your chocolate, I'm like, oh, um, okay. Well, what happened? Tell me about that. Because I want to hear what's happening for them. Because nine times out of ten, it's not about the chocolate. It's like there's something going on in them, like there's a need that has to be met or something's amiss or... Um, they thought that I had too much, which is impossible. Um, whatever it might be, that they're like, ah, oh, I took Dad's chocolate. But it's not about the chocolate. It's about their heart. So my, my goal in that moment is to, is to rebuild connection. And I'm like, oh, so what happened there? I'm so sorry that you felt that you had to steal my chocolate without asking. So we would talk through that and we would reconnect and I would hear their heart and they would hear mine. Now, there, there probably would be consequences. I'm not saying there's no consequences for their actions. And yes, if they ate my chocolate, they would go and buy me some more. And I know I'm making it silly to make a point. But do you see what I'm saying? That it's not about... When they confess, I want to maintain and rebuild that connection that's between me and them. This is what our Father does. This is what our Father in heaven does. And we can be so slow, we can be, take so long to actually come to him and confess to him and say, oh God, I've messed up. I've, I've lied about 
the money I stole or I've, I've been looking at stuff that I shouldn't be looking at, God, or I'm not caring for my wife the way that I should be or I've been gossiping about other people. No, no, no. The iniquity of us all has been poured on his son Jesus. The price has been paid. And so now God, his, his desire, his will is that we would actually reconnect with him heart to heart. And there might be consequences for our actions. Depending on the action, there'll be consequences. If you murder somebody, there are consequences for your actions. If you steal, if you lie, there are always consequences. But it depends on what the action is as to what the consequences are. But in in confessing it, we actually are seeking to rebuild that connection that's been broken. We are seeking to make amends and begin that process of reconciliation and, recon- and, and reconnection. All right, I want to have a look at 1 John chapter 1. I love this verse and, uh, and I love the encouragement that comes from it. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Uh, 1 John 1 chapter 8 going into verse 2. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Man, that's gold, isn't it? If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins, and purify us from all unrighteousness. Faithful and just, and forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness. That's on the other side of our confession. If you don't want to experience His faithfulness, and His justice, if you don't want to be purified, And if you don't want his forgiveness, don't confess. And that's that's really messy. We can think, oh, it's really painful. Actually, sometimes confession can be painful, but it's nowhere near as painful as not confessing. It's nowhere near as painful as not receiving his purification and his righteousness and his forgiveness. And that's the promise that we have from him. Uh, chapter 2, my dear children, I write to you so that you will not sin. But if, but if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. I love this, and I've talked about this a little bit before, that you actually have a choice to sin. I know that will be newsflash to all of us. When you are a follower of Jesus, you receive him as Lord and Savior of your life. You come under his atoning sacrifice. You come into a right relationship with the Father. You are a saint purified by the blood of Jesus. Now, if you, if you do sin, we receive his righteousness, his peace, his justifying work. And he is uh, the one who speaks to the Father in our defense. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, as we've already looked at, not only ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. All of that is on the other side of confession. This is the beautiful thing about God. How good is our God that He is the one that would make a way where there needs to be a way? When He says to us, confess your sins, He doesn't make it super difficult to do that. It might seem difficult. It is difficult to actually open your mouth and begin the conversation. What does it look like? Maybe um, in a practical sense, maybe it's something that you can't talk to somebody in your family about. It just feels really raw um, and hard 
and it feels painful and you're not sure where to go, find a trusted Christian friend. Somebody who is, find somebody who is older than you, further ahead of you, that can get alongside you and say, hey, let's do this together. Unconfessed sins will kill us. There are, there are now studies being done about the nature of, um, more so about forgiveness, but un- un- not confessing stuff and unforgiveness and the physical impact that has on our bodies. The spiritual has an impact in the natural and if we hold on to this stuff, it becomes poison within our bodies. And I want to encourage us as a church that we actually make the bold, brave step we're only doing what's been made possible for us through Jesus. That we can come to him and say, God, this is what I've done. God, I trust you and I choose you. That we can go to our husbands or our wives and say, babe, this is, sorry, not all of you call your spouse babe, sorry. Um, beloved. Helping you out, you're welcome. Um, this is what I've done wrong. One of the hardest confessions is for parents to confess to their kids. It took me a long time to learn that. But I do that super quick because I don't want any disconnection between my wife and me or my children and me. And I still mess it up. And I want to be super fast going back to my kids and saying, I got that wrong. I'm really sorry. And kids, like short accounts, super short account. kids are great. But we're actually called to have short account with one another, to not let the sun go down on our anger. But we can only do that when we've got this healthy culture of confessing our sins and learning to work through the consequences, not in isolation, but in connection and community. It's these things, it's confession of sins, it's forgiveness that will actually help us build community. It's vulnerability and being open and honest and I think there's more of these conversations happening that we can actually grow in our sense of community and the people around us can see God at work in our lives and they can see the light that burns within us and know Jesus as the hope of the world and it starts with simple stuff like this no it's not always easy but confession is one of the weird things it gets harder the longer you leave it and I've left some confession a long time so and I've learnt my lesson I confess really quickly and sometimes I need to go and confess to Simon and talk to him about stuff that I've messed up got it wrong sometimes I need to confess to my wife sometimes it's to friends I'm try and be really quick at it and I'm not holding myself up as the example I'm saying please hear me from the lessons that I have learned confession will kill you maybe not outwardly I said confession will kill you didn't I thank you Michael sorry for my mistake unconfession will kill you not confessing will kill you find someone that is safe, that you know and trust to help you through the confession. If you don't feel comfortable confessing to the person that you've wronged. And here, I'll close with this. Um, Yep, confession to the Lord is 
of the utmost. We need to confess our sins to God. We need to confess our sins to humans. Because it can be super easy to say, God, I've stuffed up. I've messed up. I'm sorry, I, don't mean, I hope I don't insult anybody. I've messed up. I've lied. I've stolen. I've eaten too much. I've talked too much. I think that can be easy to do with God. But to actually sit there with somebody, face to face, eye to eye. We talked before a few weeks ago about face to face life. Go face to face with somebody and go, I messed up. So that takes guts. That's vulnerability, 101. But on the other side of that is the best relationship we can have with one another. The best is found in the deepest vulnerability and that connection. And some of the deepest vulnerability comes in the biggest confessions. Can we be a people of confession? Not that we go about saying, I've eaten too much this week to everybody. Find somebody that you know and trust to talk through this to confess the sins. And I know I've made light of it. I'm, just, I'm using light-hearted examples to, to illustrate a deep biblical truth that we need to live out as followers of Jesus. And if we could do this together as the people of God, we will change the world. Amen? Jesus, we love you. For you are good all the time. We thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for the life that you lived. Thank you that you have atoned for all our sins. Thank you that you took upon yourself the iniquity of us all. That you willingly went to the cross. That you who knew no sin became sin so that we could be without sin. Mm. Wow. Today, God, in the days and weeks ahead, I pray for an outpouring of your grace and your mercy that we would be aware of your faithfulness and your justice, your peace, your presence. That if there's things in our lives that we need to confess, if there's things that we need to get off our chest, that we would do that with complete honesty and transparency and vulnerability. That we wouldn't hold on to the stuff that's holding us back that we wouldn't have an open door to the evil one who seeks to steal, kill and destroy. And we stand against the lies of the enemy who says, you don't need to talk to anybody about that. It's only a little thing. You don't need to tell anyone that. That was ages ago. God, I pray for the things that you are bringing to mind right now. We just declare that it is not the territory of the enemy. That people would be aware of your peace. You are the one who makes a way where we need a way. You are the one who joins us when we walk the path of confession, of reconciliation, of making the wrong things right. Holy Spirit, come. Would you fill us to overflowing as your people? Release your spirit of power and love and sound mind. I declare extra strengthening in relationships where confession takes place. Thank you, God, for the work that you're already doing and the work that you're about to do. That where spouses need to confess to one another, where parents and children need to confess to one another, family members, co-workers need to confess to one another. That you would surround them with your spirit, that you would surround them with your strength. 
that on the other side of that confession would be an increasing awareness of who you are and what you're like. Thank you, Jesus, that you sit at the right hand of our Father interceding for us. You are so good. We love you.